0: You are listening to a message that was given at Living Word Chapel, Oracle, Arizona. It is our hope and prayer that God will use this message to speak to you and enrich your life. For more information, visit lwcoracle.org. You know, felt that at that time it wasn't time for me to actually uh, bring this, this series. Uh, there were some other things that came up that I thought were where were, were the Lord was directing us last year. And, and this year, I really felt uh, that the, the Lord, the Holy Spirit, uh, was directing us uh, to look at, at, at the church, especially uh, the letters that were written to the seven churches in Asia. And uh, they were written by, by uh, the Apostle John from uh, exile. He was exiled on an island called Patmos. And he was there because of his faith. Um, and so we're, what we're going to do is we're going to look at, uh, at these letters in, in, in chapters uh, 2 and chapter 3 of Revelation. And, uh, and, and I want you to kind of grab a hold of some important things. First of all, it's the book of Revelation, not Revelations. Okay. So it's a book of Revelation and uh, these were actual churches. They were locations that, uh, that the Apostle John was given a mandate to write to. Uh, there was a church in Ephesus. Uh, there was a church in Smyrna, in uh, 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 Pergamum, the other church. Uh, there was another church called Thyra, uh, Tyra, uh, Thyatira, and then Sardis, uh, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And they all, needed, they, they all needed to be encouraged, and they all needed to be directed or, or re-steered, or someone would say reprimanded for, for, for where they were, they were headed. They were facing immense persecution. They were going through many trials, okay? And what this, what this uh, the title of this book means, it means to unveil something. Okay, It means to uncover something. So we're going to see how the Lord is going to uncover uh, uh, what was happening in that church and what was going to be happening in the future of the church. Um, There's a lot of symbolism in the book of Revelation. A lot of people get really, really intimidated by it. There's a lot of imagery. So what I want you to kind of hold on to, and you can write some of these things down, uh, is that it was not written to confuse Anybody, but it was written to encourage and to bless uh, the first recipients, the, the people that received it at first, but also the followers of Jesus up to today. God wants to encourage you. He wants to strengthen you. He wants to bless you. And as you look at this 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 book, this letter that 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 uh, the the Apostle John wrote, there are two extremes. On one extreme are the futurists, and they teach that everything's in the future. You can be a dispensationalist or, or you know, a, a historical pre-trib or whatever different view that you have, and you, you're looking into the future, you're looking for that millennium in the future. There's also the other, uh, it, it could be another extreme where the pendulum swings, and, and those will be called the preterist. And they hold on to this book belongs only to the past, only to this, that first century church that they were writing to. But there's two passages that I want to look at in chapter 1 before we start out uh, in, in the writings to each church, which are very important to help us with context. And it's very important that we, when we're looking at, at, at the biblical narrative, that we understand the, the context of what was going on. And here are the the, the two passages that I want to look at. The first passage is the very beginning of the book, and it says this. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. That helps us to understand context, right? Because he was writing to the church at that time about things that were going to take place in their lifetime. Does that help you to understand context? And then he said this, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. So the, the revelation comes from the Father through Jesus Christ to an angel to his servant John who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. He was going to unveil. He was going to open this, this revelation to, to the apostle John. And then it says in verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, happy, encouraged, strengthened, help. You're blessed When you read these words aloud, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be reading the word aloud to you, and you guys should be leaving here blessed. And then he says, uh, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is when? For the time is near. And we have to remember that every New Testament believer always believed that Jesus could come at any time. The greatest advice that I can give you is to know that Jesus Christ could come at any time. It was important to the churches in John's day, this book. Uh, They were dealing with Nero. They were dealing with Caligula, with all the the, the Caesars, all the emperors of the Roman Empire. And they they were horrible persecutors. They were killing Christians. They were feeding them to the lions. That's what, they were, that's what they were writing into, that context right there. And not only did it speak to the church in John's day, but it also speaks to the church today. It gives us perspective. Today, there will be Christians that will die in some other country for their faith. Iranian Christians, those, those Christians that are, that are in, in, in the Middle East that are, that are serving the Lord in some very heavily uh, 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 Muslim or Islamic-ruled uh, uh, countries, these Christians are, are getting their heads chopped off for their faith. So when someone says there's no persecution, we, we haven't faced persecution, you're not you're in a place where there's persecution. It's all over the place. And it gives us perspective to understand that this is a very relative book to us. But this book also divides Christians, and it was never written or intended to divide Christians to say, well, I have this position, well, I have this position, well, I have this position. There are four major positions of the book of Revelation, especially the millennium, and every one of those positions comes from some very, very good scholars in Christendom. I'm not here to argue from a position. I'm here to say that Jesus is coming back. And we need to be ready. No one knows the day nor the hour of Jesus' return. And the worst thing that we can do is try to predict Jesus' return or even to listen to someone that is doing so. If you hear that come out of my mouth, you need to really, really discern That because Jesus said, no one knows the day nor the hour. And then the apostle Paul said, no one knows the day nor the hour. He will come like a thief in the night. If he wanted us to be ready, we we need to be ready. We need to have oil in our lamps. but But he's going to come at a time where no one is going to know. And there are some attitudes. In fact, we're going to talk about seven attitudes every week. During this series, I'm going to be sharing one or more Christian attitudes that we should have for Christ's return. These are the things that we do hold on to. The first one that we see is we should be eagerly waiting for Jesus to come back. We should be eager and waiting for that to happen. We see that in the Bible. Uh, In Philippians, Paul wrote, For our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's writing to the church in Philippi, and he's saying, there are some things that are important, and there are some things that are vitally important. Don't worry about the temporal things. These things are going to pass away. Worry about the eternal things. You need to be waiting eagerly for the appearing of Jesus. To the Corinthian church, Paul wrote this. He said, you're not lacking any gift He was talking about the spiritual gifts that were flowing in that church. And then he said this right away. He said, awaiting eagerly for the revelation, or the the King James says, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every follower of Jesus should be eagerly waiting for Christ to come back. And we should determine that this world and this life as we know it is not our final destination. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you will be with me also. This is not it. This, this, this course, the, the cancers, the, 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 the leukemias, the, the, the uh, liver disease, uh, the lupus, the, all the things that people deal with, this is not our home. There is something so much better. And, and Christians need to understand that that has always been the essential That Jesus came to establish a new dispensation for those that believe. So I want to fast forward to chapter 2. And uh, and, uh, John writes uh, to the churches. And we're going to look at the church in Ephesus uh, this morning. And we're going to see how what he wrote to the church in Ephesus applied to them. How does it apply to us in this modern day, and, uh, and how do we begin to implement that into our lives? Let me pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for, for uh, this first service. And thank you, Lord, for you allowing us to look at this wonderful book, uh, the unveiling, the uncovering of things that are, are happening, things that have happened, and things that will happen. Lord, we pray your, your, your blessing upon everything that is said today. Uh, I want to honor you with my words. I want to honor you with this message. And I pray, Lord God, that, uh, that every person here, that, that ears will be open to hear what your spirit has to say. Uh, I, I pray, Lord God, that hearts will be open to, to receive and to implement and to live out uh, the things that you call your church to exemplify, the things that you call your church to do. So I pray, Lord, that, that, that you, Holy Spirit, will move in all of us and that we will honor your name here at Living Word Chapel and beyond. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. So here's how chapter 2 starts out. He's, he says, to the angel, uh, and, and that could be the, the it, it could be translated to the, to the, the pastor there at the, at the church in Ephesus, or the, the, the person that's going to be speaking it out, or it could be a spiritual angel. It's, there's a lot of, of uh, debate on which one it is, but that's not the most important thing it says, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write this, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. The lampstands are actually the churches. There's a the light, right? The stars are the angels, the messengers. Okay, so we need to understand that. So the, 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 the stars is symbolic for the messengers, and then the, the lampstands are symbolic for the church that's going to be the light of the world. Does that make sense? And then Jesus says to write this. He says, I know your works. I know your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, the great way to be known, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. And you found them to be false. So that tells us that we should probably test everything that is, that is spoken, every person that comes in, every, every leader that, that ever speaks from the platform, you are called to test to see if they align themselves with the Word of God. Amen? That's what we're supposed to be teaching everyone to do. Because did you know that if you're a believer in Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you? So you have the discernment of the Lord that works in you and through you? Verse 3, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. But, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent. Repent just means turn around. Turn around, have a change in your mind, have a change in the direction that you're headed He said, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. Let's pause right there because that's important. Remove the lampstand says, I'm going to remove your influence in the world. I'm going to remove that light, that beacon of hope that you are to the world around you. He said, if you don't come back to what's important, I'm going to do that. We're going to talk about that even more in a little bit. Unless you repent... Yet this you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans. Which I also hate. We'll talk a little bit more about about the Nicolaitans. Who they were. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's important for us to understand. That the Holy Spirit wants to speak to our hearts and to our lives and to our souls. For us to understand the things of God. So many people live in the carnal. You live in in the flesh in other words, what's good for me? What, what do I feel? What do I see? What's going to bring me more more, uh, in, more uh, financial gain? All these, that's all, that's all fleshly things. But God wants us to live in the spirit. He wants us to live in the spiritual things, the things that are really important, the things that are eternal. So the spirit's going to be speaking to each one of us, just like he spoke to this church in Ephesus. He says, To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So let's look at what the church in Ephesus was commended for, and let's align ourselves at Living Work Chapel. Every person sitting here, let's align ourselves. Are we this church to be commended for? He commended their works. He commended their works. One of the things that we can never lose sight of is that God never loses sight of what we do. God looks in the hidden places. He knows everything about each one of us. He knows every work that we do. He knows how we, how we exemplify, how we live out the love of God. I love the way that uh, the message paraphrase puts this in, in uh, verse 2. It says, I see what you've done, your hard, hard work. You know, and, and God's not looking to, to see your work so that you can be saved. He's looking at us because we are saved, we do the works of God. We don't get brownie points with God. It's not like God's looking at the, he's keeping tabs on what you've done. God doesn't operate that way. He's saying because of what he's done, it should produce a very thankful heart in us that we're going to go and do the works of the living God. In fact, uh, Ephesians chapter 2 says that he prepared these works for us so that we can walk them out and live them out for his glory. The Ephesian church was diligent about doing good, and Jesus took notice and he wrote about it to them. My question is what is Jesus writing in that heavenly book about Living Word Chapel? What is he saying? Is he saying, way to go? Did you see? Just like when Job was walking the, the, the earth, and, and the, the, the devil went before the angels and before before God, and, and and God looks and he boasts about Job. He says, Have you seen my servant Job? Servant, in other words, working for the, for the kingdom. What is he saying about Living Word Chapel? What is he saying about us? Are we working out the things of God? The second thing that he commends them for is their perseverance. The, the, the Spirit of God will give us a never quit attitude. How many of you in here have wanted to quit? How, how many of you just, just get tired because you're doing the work of God and it seems like there's just so much opposition? I can say this from Pastor James two hands every Monday. Lord, I, I, this is tough. This is difficult, Lord. I don't say, you know, that woman, that wife that you gave me, you know, I'll say that like four times a year, but sometimes on Mondays I'll say, uh, those people that you gave us, Lord. But the Spirit of God says, don't quit. Don't quit. I, I love again the, how the message puts it. It says, I see your refusal to quit. I know your persistence, your your courage in my cause that you never wear out. You keep on going. The Holy Spirit is like the energizer rabbit. He gives us that ability to keep going and going and going and going and going. God never takes from us. God always pours into us. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're going through. But you need to know this, that with God you can make it. With God, you can overcome. With the power of the Lord, you can continue to do the works of the Lord. Paul, in writing to the Galatians, he put it like this. Let us not grow weary of doing good, because in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Don't tire of, giving, uh, of doing the things that God called you to do. Keep doing it because in due time you are going to reap the harvest of righteousness. You're going to reap the blessings of God. You will reap God saying, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, we did a, we did a service yesterday for Lloyd Bradshaw. Lloyd Bradshaw walked into the church about three years ago. And an amazing testimony. You know, I, I worked with Lloyd underground as a supervisor, and Lloyd was a different person. He was a, he was a, you know, a real man that had his, his opinions, and his opinions are what mattered. And he lived out that life, and he was strong about everything he did. And so he came about three years ago, and he walked in the doors, and he found me. And he said, I want to tell you what happened he said, last night, I, I, I wrestled all night. I, I really thought I was going to die. When I went to bed, I just thought I was going to die. So I wrestled all night. And I believe I was wrestling with God. I had this, this, this thing going on. And I said, I know i got to get my life right. The Lord was speaking to me. i got to get my life right with God, with Jesus. And he said, I I, said, I, I need to go to church. And, and, and this is what he told me. And, and it was confirmed by his sister, who was there at the service yesterday, uh, and, and others. He said to me in, in, in the morning, he got up, he said, I'm going to go to church uh, in, in Samuel, I'm going to go to this church. And, and he said, I heard this voice. And I don't know if it was heartburn or what it was, but he heard something. And he said, I, that, that voice said to him, that, that small, still voice, that still, small voice said to him, go to church at that church across from the Ford dealership. And they're going to help you grow. And he came in there, he came into this church, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And from their own admission of of people that were close to him, and from me seeing, his life was completely transformed. He began to serve. He sat in the back. He would usher. He would do communion. He would do all kinds of things. And God changed his life and changed his behavior for his glory. But he worked, and he worked, and he persevered. And I know that I know that I know that when he took his last breath here and took his first breath in heaven... That Jesus said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. The third third thing that Jesus commended the the church in Ephesus for was their discernment of evil. In other words, they they picked up when there was evil things going on. They picked up when there was uh, an underlying attitude or an agenda Notice the verbiage. The evil that Jesus wrote to the Ephesian church was in the church. This is important because so many Christians are always talking about people outside of the church. It's not our job to judge the world. It's not our job to say, I can't believe they're doing that. They're in the world. I did that in the world. He said this, he, says, he said uh, uh, he, he wanted them to look at what is a cancer in the church that can make the body sick. What is here in the church that can make us uh, a, a body that, that, that's, that's, that's not healthy? And I love the way that the message paraphrase puts it. It says, I know you can't stomach evil. It makes you sick. That you weed out apostolic pretenders. And we, it, we learned that in that day that there were those that said they were apostles and they twisted the gospel of grace. They added works or they added licentiousness where you wouldn't walk out the holiness of God. It was, it was a double-edged sword, but it was wrong in either way. And he says, I commend you that you don't stomach evil. It makes you sick that, that you weed out apostolic pretenders. Sometimes in a local church you have to deal with the things that can make a church sick. Did you know that? That's what the leadership has to do. That's what the church is called to do. We have to face things and we have to talk about things that maybe make us feel uncomfortable, but we know it's going to be harmful for you. It's going to be harmful for those in the body. It's going to be harmful for those in leadership. If I'm talking to someone that I'm not supposed to be talking to, someone needs to approach me and say, That's wrong. It's going to hurt you. It's going it's to destroy your family. It's going to destroy your ministry. It's going to destroy everything that God has given you. If I start stopping in places that are going to be harmful to me, someone that finds out needs to say, you shouldn't be there. If I start teaching something that does not align itself with Scripture, someone needs to say, pastor, let's talk about that. The leadership should be discerning. They should be saying, hey, that doesn't align itself with what it says right here. And not only me, but anyone that stands behind this 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 place, this pulpit right here, this table, and speaks the oracles of God, speaks the things of God. We need to be testing. He said, You cannot stomach that. And that's wonderful. See, what, what I love about the Ephesian church is they were not afraid of conflict. See, some people, some people you're, you're so afraid of, you're, not, you're, you're so um, non-conflictive. There's another word that I'm looking for. It's non-confrontational. That's the word I'm looking for. You're so non-confrontational that you avoid every piece of conflict, but you never deal with the issues. Husbands and wives, you never deal with the issues. With your kids, you never deal with the issues. You, you let them, now grandparents are excluded from that. You need to know that I'm not dealing with the issues. My kids are, my grandkids are never brats, no matter what they do. You guys might say, "Man, they're brats." Those, man, they are. Have you seen what they do? They throw the balloon up and down over here in the church, in the house of God. But the the reality is is that there are things that we have to deal with in a church. There are things that we have to deal with—gossip, things like that—that are going to be—they're poison. And people don't deal with, oh, it's okay. And, and have you ever gone to someone and you know you have to deal with something? I, I talked to someone yesterday. It's crazy. I talked to someone yesterday. He was a supervisor underground. He gave his life to Jesus. Praise the Lord for that. The long story behind that. But I was talking to him. He was a big boss, super, uh, superintendent of, of production at, at Magma Copper. And um, he said, I, 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 I went on, on the secular. when they shut the mind down. I bought some companies. And I was, you know, I got several uh, uh, stores that I own. And he said, The first time that I met with uh, one of the persons that I had to uh, do some disciplinary action, he said, I went and I met, my wife said to me, because they're co owners, the wife said, Do you want me to deal with this situation? It's a lady, do you want me to deal with it? He said, No, I got it. So he went in there and he said, She started to cry. <laughs> Miners don't cry. They don't in front of anybody anyways. You cry when you leave. And his wife said, how did it go? She's still working. <laughs> she cried. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? She cried. What I'm saying is that sometimes you have to deal with things, even when people cry. Amen? Sometimes. And that's what the Ephesian church, they, were, they, they, they dealt with anything that was evil. Number four, they were commended for their hate, for teachings that did not align itself with the gospel. He says, uh, but this is, this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans, just as I do. The, 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 the Nicolaitans were, were followers of Nicholas. Uh, that's what is believed from tradition. Nicholas was one of the first servers, one of the, the, the seven that served in, in Acts chapter 6. And uh, Nicholas probably went astray from, 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 the, from the teachings of the gospel And they they became a sect. A sect just means a group of people. And they're they're mentioned in Revelations 2 and verse 6, which we're dealing with right now, and then also in Revelations 2.15 in another church, whose deeds were strongly condemned because they... What, what tradition tells us is that they were identical with those that were held in the doctrine of Balaam. Balaam was a prophet of the Old Testament that led the Israelites to go and not only uh, uh, worship idols, but to go and, and, and prostitute themselves and have fornication with, with, with uh, uh, temple prostitutes. And that's exactly what was going on here. Now remember, Ephesus, Ephesus the church in Ephesus, the, the, this metropolis... It was a huge city, and the, 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 the biggest commerce there was there was a big temple to the, to the uh, goddess Diana or Artemis. And, and this goddess, there was a thousand pros, uh, uh, female prostitutes, uh, temple prostitutes that, that would go. And so when you would go worship, you would worship with having uh, a relationship with these temple prostitutes. And these temple prostitutes actually had on, their, on the bottom of the soles of their feet, follow me. And they would go into the town and they would stamp, follow me. And they'd go to the men and they'd go like this, follow me. And the men, the men would get in a trance. We're going to go worship. <laughs> True. Look at history. And so, so what was going on right here is that uh, Nicholas taught the individuals that because we're under grace, it's okay to eat meat that is sacrificed to idols. And to that, Paul would say, that doesn't matter. Paul would say that if you look at uh, Romans chapter uh, 14, Paul deals with that. He says, you know what? Meat sacrificed to idols doesn't matter unless you're weak and you can't eat that meat because it's going to violate your convictions. So that wasn't the big, big thing. The big thing was that when they would eat that meat, they would have to have sexual relationships with these prostitutes which completely contradicted the holiness of God. Now why am I saying that? How many of us in the modern church are tempted by all kinds of sexual temptations? By all kinds of different things? It helps us to understand that. Now, they were commended that they that they stood their ground and did not Let that teaching penetrate their lives and their hearts. Now, here's what the church in Ephesus was rebuked for, and this is very important. They they were rebuked for neglecting what is the most important thing in God's economy. And the most important thing in God's economy is a love for God and a love for his people. What 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 we find in this letter is that it doesn't matter how many things we do right, our works, discerning evil, our perseverance, or our hate for false doctrine. If love is not at the center of our actions, we become an enemy of God. This is what this is what uh, what uh, Jesus said. He said, "But I have this complaint against you." It's from the NLT. You don't love me or each other as you did it first. Let's just pause right there. How many of you know that God wants us to love him first? He loves you so much and he wants to pour his love into you. Everything in this world is going to try to take your love and steal it from the love that God has for you and the love that you can have for him. And how many of you know that there's a battle for us to love one another? How many of you know that? Jesus, Jesus said this. He said, a new commandment. The only commandment he left his disciples, said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And then he said this, the world is going to know you for your love for each other. So the Ephesian church was getting everything right. They were working the things of God. They were doing things for people. They were persevering. They were strengthened. They were doing all these things. They became self-righteous. Look at what we're doing. We're doing everything for God. They hated the false teachings. And they began to, to say, we're not the Nicolaitans. We're not part of this. And they started to you know, stand on that. But they began to be so self-righteous that they neglected their love for God and their love for each other. And here's how you know this. When you start neglecting your love for God... You will start neglecting the love for each other. Every single time that the world will steal your love that you have for God, it will steal the love that we should have for each other. Because I'm going to tell you something there are some people that you cannot love without the love of God. (laughs) Ask my wife. 34 years in October, She there's some days she can only love me with the love of God. We need God's love. We need to choose to love one another. It's horrible when people go from church to church and they, they, they have bickering. God never intended it that way. God always intended for us to walk in love and in grace. That doesn't mean you have to stay at a church forever, but it means you leave on a, on a good note. You leave on a positive, you leave with everything restored. You say, you know what, my season has ended here. I love you, and I know you love me, but you know what? God's calling us to a different place. That's a beautiful thing. You see each other at Walmart, you hug each other. It's horrible when Christians can't love each other. It's horrible when when when, when you have this talking and bickering. That's not God. And that's exactly what he's saying right here. You, you, you look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. What were the works they did at first? They loved God. They loved Jesus. They loved the Holy Spirit, and they loved each other. And I always have to be saying, Lord, I need need that love, Lord God. Pour your love into me. I love you with that love. I reciprocate that love. I give it back to you because my love falls so short. But that love that you've given me, I receive it, and I give it back to you. And give me that love, Lord God, so I can give it to people in the congregation, give it to people that I, my, my pastor friends, people that I meet with. I want to love them like you love them. I want to love them with, with your grace. He says, turn back to me and do the works you did at first. You, if you don't repent, I will come and I will remove your lampstand. That makes a lot of sense. From its place among the churches, he's telling us, Living Word Chapel, just like he told the Ephesian church, I will take the light away from you that's supposed to show the world that there is a God. I will take that light from you if you don't love one another. If you don't love me with the love that I've given you. You see, God never asked us to do something that he doesn't do first. He loves you with an unfailing love, and that love he gives to us, that love that sent his son to the cross, is that same love that he wants returned to us, to him. You know, uh, I'm going to say something. Don't get mad at me. so many times Christians want to want to raise a banner of righteousness and point our fingers at others around us and we lose sight of what matters most to God love Can we talk about the Super Bowl? Can we talk about the halftime show? Huh? You know how how how, how many how many of you, and I have to be real careful here, I'm treading on some very, 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 very tre- fine water right here. How many of you were upset because of the dancing? What, let me, okay, praise the Lord. Can I tell you something? I missed it. I, I'm, I'm trying to find My wife said, you don't need to watch it. I was making salsa. True story. I was making salsa, and she was like, man, I, I can't believe they're moving like that. I'm saying, what? What are they doing? Right? And, and, and so we, we, we get upset at what the world does. We, 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 as Christians, we get upset at what the world does. What are, we, what are we thinking? What are we thinking? That's the world. That's where we came from. But God loved us, and he saved us, and he sanctified us by his grace. And so we, we get this hatred. I can't believe they're doing what they're doing. Can I tell you why they're doing what they're doing? They're doing it because they don't know any better. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't have the grace of Jesus. Now, if we put a pole here at the, in the church, we put a pole right here and we have someone dancing, all the men will move up. <laughs> right? And I know what you'll do. You'll say, oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe they did that. I'm not, I'm not even going to Look. You know, it's so funny to me because I see this Christian leader and they're saying, I cannot believe that they did that. You know, they did this, they did this. So they watched the whole thing. (laughs) I don't even know what happened. I'm trying to find it on YouTube. (laughs) What did I miss? And I'm being funny. I'm being funny and it's facetious. And hear me now. I'm I'm being funny about it because here's what I want you to grab a hold of. Where's love? Where's our love as Christians? How do we teach our kids? How do do we teach our kids that love is the premise of everything we do? If, if, If it's judgment all the time, if it's always finding something wrong, can I tell you, you turn more people off than you'll ever bring to Jesus Christ. I worked underground for years And people cussed in front of me all the time, and I never told them to stop cussing. Can I tell you why? Because people that are not believers, they cuss. And I'm not their their patrol. Jesus is my patrol. And after a while, they would say, I'm sorry for saying that. I'm sorry for saying that. I say, Bro, I'm, I'm just a person. And can I tell you that the majority of those people have come to Jesus. Beloved, we need to have love as the premise of everything that we do. In the church and outside of the church. I'm going to end with this scripture. Paul writing to the Ephesians, I mean I'm sorry, to the Corinthians, this is important. A lot of times they use this in, in the weddings and they talk about love and This is, this, Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, and he's saying, you know what, you guys have these gifts, and, you know, you speak in tongues, and you speak in tongues, they don't even understand what you're saying, outsiders are coming in, they're they're thinking you're crazy, and and you're doing all these things, which, you know, the gifts are very important, and I love every gift, I speak in tongues, you'll never hear me speaking in tongues in a service, because unless the Lord speaks, and he has an interpretation, because you're not going to understand what I'm saying, It tells us very plainly in in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. And he says this, he says this, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but don't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body and could boast about it, but if I don't love others, I would have gained nothing. Now they say this at weddings, but it's not even pertaining to husband and wife. He's talking about the church. He says love is patient. And kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in an unknown language or glossolalia, which is tongues... And special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. That's who God is. And God wants to fill us with his love and he wants for our church to be known for love. He wants us to be known for a love that's a banner. That we love people no matter where they're coming from, no matter you know, what they've done. I'll never forget, Sean and I ministered to this young lady that used to dance on a pole. She gave her life to Jesus. We didn't look at her any differently because God didn't look at her any differently and God changed her life forever. And I'll never forget being able to do her wedding because God sanctified her and changed her life for the glory. Jesus is writing a letter and it says, Dear church, wake up. Wake up. And let love be your badge. If you're in here and you feel guilty, that's not God. If you're in here and you feel peace, that's God. If you're in here and you feel acceptance, that's God. If you're in here and you sense forgiveness that's Jesus amen let's pray heavenly father thank you for loving me thank you for loving your church Lord as we've learned today you've called us to be both recipients and givers of this amazing love so today we make the choice to live out what matters most to you And what matters most to you is for us to love you and to love people, especially your people, Lord. And Lord, I'm going to pray a prayer right now for that person in here that might have never received your love. Maybe they've never said, I am giving my life to Jesus. It's a simple prayer, Lord. And for that person in here that maybe you've never prayed a prayer to receive Jesus as your Savior, he's extending his hand to you right now, and you can just pray this with me. God, I'm tired of doing life on my own. Today, I accept and I confess my need for a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. I put my trust in you, Lord. I put my faith in you. I will make you a part of my everyday life. I turn away from my independence from you. And put my dependence on you today. Lord, I believe that you were raised from the dead, Lord Jesus. Just like the Bible said you would. And today I choose to follow you in the fellowship of the church. Amen. I just keep your heads bowed if you don't mind. And if you prayed that prayer today, can you just raise your hand? Just This has been a message from Living Word Chapel. We hope that you've been blessed by it. Make sure you check out lwcoracle.org for more information.